Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me as per usual is my co-host, Miss Annie Bondle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I am a whirlwind of emotions with a to-do list that is too long. The end. Okay. Um. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's that kind of day, huh? Um, yeah, Greg's at a Greg's at a town on a work trip, so like, not only do I have like my sort of professional to do list, I have to like keep the house functioning and like the cats fed, and it's adulting is a lot a, a scam. Adulting <laughs> is a scam. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we have a special guest joining us today to uh, an, a, a special guest who is my boss. So, everyone, be nice to him. Leave us good reviews so that my performance review goes well um nick scalera hi thanks for having me back again can't wait to get started um you may have the honor of saying what we're talking about this week awesome well we are talking about one of my favorite shows call the midwife is back for season 10 and we are call the midwife is endless it is gonna outlive us all it is like cockroaches and share and i love share Cockroaches share and call the midwife. It's the three C's of life. This is the start of season 10. Yes. Um, It's definitely been renewed through at least like season 14. It's a ways, a ways from now. It is definitely, it is definitely a, a, greenlit through 12 and 13 i'm not sure about 14 off the top of my head um but we'll get to that in a little bit um let's talk about what the world of season 10 which is uh for this year um as as every year it has moved on uh to the next year because that's basically how call the midwife rolls so you know a show that started in 1955 56 is now in 1966 um and uh for Viewers who are sticking to the linear uh, broadcast, um, you'll have seen just the first episode when this airs. But if uh, if you're somebody who has a PBS Passport, um, you've been able to watch the first few episodes already because they've been rolling out about a month early, about four weeks early, I guess, um, since the beginning of September. Um, and, we are uh, only going to talk about the premiere, though, because... Well, to be quite honest, we couldn't figure out a way to uh, discuss it and release it in time for the linear premiere. It was a mess. So we're going to talk about the premiere yeah. and the show writ large. And, and though um, we, we should note that Nick has definitely watched all the episodes on PBS Pat Ford. I am. I am through episode three and episode four, I think, will be coming out later today on our on the time at the time we record this. But um, they're all really great. So you got a lot to look forward to, folks. But if you get that PBS Passport, that one month pre-release is really nice. It's the first time they've ever done anything like this with Call the Midwife. In fact, for a lot of years, Call the Midwife was not on Passport at all. And you really had to be able to to watch it on air or watch it within the first two weeks to see it. So this is really great to have these expanded rights this year for, for people. Maybe we'll get a bigger audience to, to tune in to Call the Midwife. 
So uh, this year starts 66, and um, there's a huge change that's going on at the beginning of uh, episode one, which is that they're basically looking at uh, trying to find way, you know, Nonanus House is always trying to, like, um, find ways to raise money because, you know, they're poor. And the, the, the choice this year is to partner with Lady Emily Clinic. Which is uh, in in Mayfair, which for people who know London at all, Mayfair is like the ritzy place where people live. Um, so it's all rich people and it's like a private, um, it's a private clinic. Um, and, you know, this way, you know, the idea is that, you know, basically the, the argument for this um, is that, you know, we're, we're we're taking the money from the rich people and we're going to you know plow it back into into the, the 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 place for the poor and you know make it so that we have more money but at the same time like you know for people who believe in like you know public health and like the national health service this is leaning a little bit too much into you know our american system of private health care and um, as you can imagine dr turner has a complete fit over the idea that we could even do this yes he is vehemently opposed to this and in fact he gets in some rather harsh shots later in the episode um uh sort of criticizing this this move for Nanata's house which is you know portrayed as a survival move basically not something they they really want to do but something they have to do um and i can tell you as someone who's watched ahead uh this uh-huh. plot will continue to thicken in later episodes so stay tuned for that well part of me is just like what does he expect these women to do like number one they're you know it's it's a service thing for them like this is their vocation they've been called to do this it's also like where they live like where like if they don't fight to keep Donatus house open and operating on some level like what's going to happen to them i mean in a very real sense they're going to get dispersed and the nuns will be sent to different orders in different places and i don't know what the midwives will do we'll have to get different jobs i guess but like i was a little i was a little resentful of him for being so hard on Sister Julianne, because what, like, she's doing her best. Yeah, and honestly, like, you can already tell that, like, uh, I mean, Julianne has a really smart move. Like, you know, she basically she's told she can't send any of the nuns. So who does she send? She sends Trixie because who, who among who, who among else? Nurse, yes, who else would be like oh, something in Mayfair? I could be around famous people. So of course she like immediately takes it. And can I say that that outfit that they send her is like. Um, it, I, I didn't actually like it, even though I know it's supposed to be like super chic. Like I was like, this is supposed to be super chic. I, I actually thought it was worse that apparently the real one is pink. Right. Yeah, it was a little frilly too. I mean, it was very fussy like, for a nurse's the, off outfit. I at least thought the white one looked sort of like, you know, clinical and doctory and clean like a hospital. And then like she gets there and it's like bubblegum pink yeah and like honestly i i i'm I, I expect that the lady emily clinic thing will like fall apart as we go along at least you know for at least for dramatic purposes even though it may not like totally fall apart it may like threaten to um but i also think that like even this first episode sort of shows Trixie sort of trying to bring like a new attitude to the place, um, which I don't know how how 
I, I don't know if I was supposed to be cheering her on or not. Like I felt a little, I felt a little confused on how, how, whether, I mean, obviously I'm supposed to be cheering on Trixie because Trixie is a good person and I'm supposed to be sort of horrified at the way that the people at the, at Lady Emily behave, especially that doctor dude who's, but at the same time, like I was just kind of like, I, I'm not sure how this is, how this is supposed to be playing out quite. I'm not sure I, I I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about any of this. Um, and since you've watched ahead, am I am I am I supposed to be cheering on Trixie? I am, right? You are, but I will just say it is it's complicated and and it's I think that's what's, you know, again sort of as I, every year when I come back to the show I'm like is it going to decline? Is it not going to be as good? But it's like they just they deal with complexity so well and the that story with the clinic is not a clear cut at all on either side. And I think they do I mean, a good job of that, but it's confusing. It is confusing to see Trixie in that, in that, um, in that environment, in that different outfit, um, dealing with, um, you know, do, do we want it to work or do we not want it to work as the audience? I mean, it's a big question. I mean, I think we're supposed, I think the show to an extent plays into our own biases of like, we don't want to like these rich people because they're so, uh, they're so removed from the world that Nanata's house exists in in its regular day-to-day like we want Dr. Turner to be right and this to be a terrible idea and whatever whatever but also like these are still just women that need help and they're women that maybe have been told for whatever reason that they are only allowed to do or want or feel certain things and that in its way is is as problematic as the women who live in the East End whose husbands you know I mean they're 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 not getting like abused like some of these women are, but they're trapped all the same. Yeah. Um. And and I actually like one of the things that I I like. There's an early scene where one of the rich women comes in, and it's a it's I think it's Trixie's basically first patient, and she's the doctor's like, did you quit that job like I told you to? And she's like, oh yes, everybody was so happy for me to leave. And I'm like, that's the saddest story I've ever heard. Yeah, and she describes like what we would term, you know, in the present day, it's like extreme harassment in the workplace that she was getting for being pregnant. And <laughs> and she and she just kind of laughs it off, which is, you know, I think. Again, they, you know, the series does a good job of sort of putting you in the context of 1966. But um, yeah, I mean, it is sort of the other side of the coin of the East End. It's another form of of, of discrimination and struggle that that these women go through. And yeah, they bring it out in the sort of the first two minutes when when she walks in the door. Yeah. Um. I I also um. I'm not sure how I feel. Like I I want to side with Doctor Turner on the idea that this is not going to work. Um, and you know, as some- I just keep, I just keep coming back to I don't know what he thinks they're supposed to do. Like like he doesn't he's not offering solutions here. <laughs> no, he's not. And you know, like it, it th- this is such the timing of this season and and introducing the storyline is also, you know, it's really topical because the NHS is basically in some ways being dismantled as we speak. Um, and so having someone like Dr. Turner, who is supposed to be like the avatar of the good and, and, and the righteous, you know, like giving full throated, you know, defense of NHS is great. But at the same time, like, uh, it, maybe it's because I'm an American. But my first thought was, wh- why? Why can't you have both? Why not both? Can we embrace the power of and here? I mean, you would think that's actually like the most ideal solution in the sense that these people who go to the Lady Emily Clinic are clearly the people with means who who don't necessarily, you know, who can kind of make their own resources in a way that the women of Poplar can't. 
So right, and it's you know it's interesting because Doctor Turner is, I mean, you know, he comes off as verging on saintly half the time, and he, you know, he is the husband of the series creator, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I actually but did I'm not know tis. that. I did not know that. <laughs> um, but um, this is the first. You know, he sort of gets really. This is the first time he has words with Sister Juliana. It happens later in the episode, and it's noted. And but- like maybe, maybe it's just that I really love Sister Julian, and I'm very protective of and defensive of her. But I was just like, "Look, man, get away!" <laughs> right. And it's shocking on both levels because suddenly he is being sort of he's being stubborn and I- sort of ideological on this issue, and he's not being sensitive. And sort of what we've always sort of had from him is this sort of very sensitive male portrayal. So it, it's it's a bit shocking to see but um but there'll be more on that storyline to come um speaking of dr turner he also begins uh, what i assume is going to be an ongoing storyline of um a baby that is born deformed it has no legs below the knee um and at first like everybody thinks it's going to be another thamal i'm going to pronounce thal i don't thalidomide thalidomide yes thank you just sound it out like in the billy joel song (laughs) okay um but uh basically it's not instead it's a radiation storyline dating back to the test at the end of world war ii where the husband of the the basically this couple has been trying to get pregnant for like five years um they finally managed to get pregnant the baby is born with no legs below the knee is born really early and it dies within like the hour and it turns out i thought it was i thought it was a stillbirth actually but no i'm pretty sure it's I, i'm pretty sure it, it, it's too it basically turner's is too weak give it to them now and i'm pretty much under the impression the baby is alive like in yeah. that oh. moment yeah definitely um, for for yes for a little while for a day or two maybe and it, and it, and it, and it basically passes away in her arms within the hour um but what i Basically, what we then discover is that the husband, um, who we think has like an ulcer, actually has like half of his stomach basically has is dissolving as he as, as he exists. And it's because he was exposed to massive doses of radiation during the test at the Christmas Islands. And um, basically, they lost their child because of this. And the, the I assumed that part of the reason they'd been having so many problems getting pregnant was something to do with that too. Oh yeah, no, I it, it, it it's not just that the baby was 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 born with no legs. It's that they part the the infertility is a problem. His stomach is a problem. Like he is he has been deeply affected by the fact that he was hanging out a couple miles from a mushroom cloud, um, on a boat, not really doing anything with no mask or anything, just holding his hands over his face, um. So basically there's I also just feel like if if I'm telling someone a story where I'm like and then my bones started glowing through my skin <laughs> I might tell that friend as a friend to seek professional medical attention because that is bad. Well, yeah, I mean it's definitely a thing and you know the so the guy's name is Derek and he's in the national service and he's stationed out on this Christmas Island test which was actually the test for and I looked this up this is all authentic of course this is you know call the midwife is authentic it was called Operation Grapple and it was England testing their first H bomb so this is a big big weapon right and it's England wanting to sort of Great Britain wanting to climb into the sort of thermonuclear club with the US and Russia so it was controversial at the time why do we even need to do this but obviously, you know the the soldiers were not protected. Post World War Two, yeah. So so nineteen this the tests I think were nineteen fifty eight fifty nine through the early sixties, from what I can tell. 
Okay, so this basically, like, I was thinking that he'd been in, the, I think he'd, I was thinking this was 1945, but you're right, because England yeah. didn't, yeah, the UK didn't join that club until the 60s. So actually, this only just happened to him a few years ago. Right, right. You know, maybe like 10 years ago from, I don't know, I was trying to do a little bit of the timeline in my head, but, but you know, the interesting thing is this all comes out, I do think one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit with Call the Midwife is obviously how well it handles female characters. It is a, f- a female executive producers, female showrunners, female writers, and the characters are well-rounded, and we've talked about that before. They do a, t- a decent job with the male characters, too. In this case, this this Derek fellow, um, you know, he talks to a buddy in the pub after the death of of his son, and they have a sort of you know, kind of emotional conversation that you wouldn't expect from two British guys in the in the in the mid nineteen sixties, and it comes to light that his buddy, who had also been near Christmas Island, had um, they had birthed a child that was missing three fingers. So suddenly, the you know detective work that of course Doctor Turner does starts to lead them to you know think that this this uh, exposure to radiation is the issue. But I, you know, I think all along they do a great job with Derek because when the when the child is dying. After the birth, I mean, it's a tough. It's when you're so that so again, call the midwife. Brand new season. You're about twenty minutes in, and there's an absolutely horrendous neonatal death going on. It is as sad as you can imagine. Get the Kleenex box out at twenty four minutes. You will be crying. It's sad, sad, sad. Um, and you expect the grief from the mother, and of course, they do a good job with that. But the way they handle the the father's grief, grief, I thought is really really sort of tender and really just interesting and different and more than I would expect from a sort of a period piece. I think he struggles as well. The the thing about the pram. The, right. The, 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 yeah. Like, what, what do I do about the pram? Like that kind that really got me. Right. You know, and it's, and you, you have to imagine again, when he sort of finally has this discussion with his buddy, it's sort of, you know, this is a generation of men that aren't raised to sort of be in touch with their feelings, especially in, you know, the working class East end. And I think that, that, um, you know, they, they do a good job of, they don't go overboard with it, right? He's not overly emotional, but he's struggling and dealing with his emotions and it's, it's a well-rounded character. And I thought they did a really good job. I, but, loved, you know, how, like, I loved how, um, how supportive of his wife he was too. Yeah, Like yeah. that was, especially because a lot of times on the show, husbands are not the greatest husbands or partners. So it was, it was nice. It's quintessential call the midwife. And I actually, I, I have something here. I want to read this. This is a tweet for somebody. Cause when I read this, I was just like, this is, this is what call the med- midwife sort of is in a nutshell. And this tweet is from at Cameron Yard Jr. And they say, Oh, hi Cameron. They say call the midwife is an iron fist in a velvet gr- glove. Its greatest trick is making you think it's cozy, then hits you with serious topics and makes the whole thing accessible to a mainstream audience. That is some masterful program making. And I was just like, yep, the iron fist in, in, in the in the velvet gloves. So it's so true. I mean, you you can't ever get super comfortable in an episode of, of Call the Midwife. Um, and they do things later on to kind of rescue the kind of wrenching sadness of this episode. But yeah, you never know when that fist is going to come out. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, even in the scene where like the fist is hitting you, where the two of them are like sitting there over a pint talking about like their their kids that have both been bur- 
birth with birth defects. Um, the 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 friend making that comment about you know well we joke she was made on a Friday afternoon and that's why she's missing three fingers because you know things that are made on a Friday afternoon aren't always quite up to par. And I thought that was you know because that is really sort of how people like coped with those sorts of things at the time. Like they just sort of turned it into a joke. And like and 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 it's in the same way that the that the that the uh, that the rich woman talks about like this horrendous harassment she just and sort of laughs it off. It's the same sort of like yeah, horrendous thing has happened, but we just sort of laugh it off. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's amazing how how they do that, you know. And it's and it's just it feels very real and very accurate for the time period and the and the sort of the, the social class and the folks that are that are sort of handling this grief. Um, but yeah. So I, I, I need to know, does this radiation, since since you've watched two and three, does this radiation storyline continue at least immediately or or, or are we going to have to wait to see if it comes back? I will say it really disappears for the next two episodes. I don't know if okay. it comes back. Like you, I suspect it will, knowing how the how the arc of these things usually, usually happen, <laughs> because at one point the... Um, there's a sort of poignant, poignant line between, um, uh, the husband and wife who, you know, had lost their son about how, um, that, you know, it's sort of like they, they are dedicated for the memory of their child to keep sort of chasing down this issue. They're not going to let it die. Right. So I, I think we'll see more of it. <laughs> I just could not, I, I, I could not stop thinking about, um, I know we've all watched the HBO drama Chernobyl. Yes. Yes. And the in the for those of you listening who haven't seen it, there is a character who is pregnant and and loses her baby because of the intense like radiation she's exposed to from her husband who dies of radiation poisoning. And I was just like, this is I I, I felt even more like horrifying to me because I'd seen Chernobyl, which is not um, pulling punches about how horrible it is to die of anything related to radiation. And ugh. I was wondering what the uh, viewer discretion advised thing was at the beginning of the episode, and I guess it's pretty uh, standard. It's in there all the time, really, isn't it? Um, not, not, not a, not every episode. Is it not? I wasn't sure. But this episode also did have multiple, like, extremely disgusting birth scenes. Like, again, we talked about this last time we talked about the show. Like, I credit the show for being like, childbirth is messy and ugly, but also like there are definite points where I had to like cover my face because I was like, oh, okay, this fluids. <laughs> Um, uh, the 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 final sort of storyline that 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 we get at the beginning of this is uh, Sister Monica Jones and and okay wait I have to just uh, I have I have to get this out guys it's time to let Sister Monica Jones go like I just like I don't what wait wait what are you saying I, just, I can't take it anymore I can't like also how old is this woman. Like she's be like eternal. I don't like. Uh. She she's the same age as a uh, Lady Violet on top on top Nappy at this point. Um. I, okay. So I have to say first of all, as probably the least religious person on this call, um, that uh, I am not into Sister Monica Joan very much. Um. She kind of she's like the she's like the voiceover at the beginning and the end. Okay. The voice. Oh, I can't. Please make that stop. This we and maybe it was just because I haven't watched the show in a couple of months several months however long it's been uh, but i just like the intros the vanessa redgrave voiceovers are so laughably bad that i just uh, like i can't imagine showing somebody who hadn't seen the show before at sh- uh, and them seeing this intro and then taking the show seriously after that it's just such a joke right right L- listening through that and thinking you're actually going to get a good show <laughs> 
I don't, yeah. I don't think and they it, really match up. It's very frustrating. Like, Sinister Monica Joan, to me, is very much of the uh, uh, of the call the midwife that produced those voiceovers. And, like, the show, to me, is very much like... The, there's a really good show in here. Please stop booking and bookending it with that. And this is a really good show. Why, I, I suppose that there are people for whom Sister Monica Joan mean, means a lot and for whom her crisis of faith is, like, a real thing. But, like, this is this was the one that did not speak to me at all. And I felt really bad. The thing is, is that, like, I actually think that the bones of that story, the bones of, like, somebody who has spent their entire life, like, in an in a religious order who has literally dedicated themselves to this, I think having them question that after experiencing something, you know, horrible or whatever is really, like, I think it's good and I think it's important because I I don't I think that faith being an active thing is very important. I think showing that people have to choose faith more than one time is very important. I just don't think Sister Monica Joan is the vehicle for this story. Like I uh I'm remembering when Mrs. Turner was uh sister Shayla? Yes. Sister Shayla? I forget what... Well, I, I think she had I, a I different remember. sister name, as I remember. Yeah, she had, like, a religious name that wasn't Shayla, but I forget what it was. Um, And I thought that show did a really good job of exploring how her, you know, her sort of crisis of faith about whether or not she should leave her order and go get married and renounce her vows and that kind of stuff. I thought it was really well done. So I think that there is... I think there is a good story here. I just think they've spent so many years treating Sister Monica Joan like the butt of a joke that this I can't take this seriously. Yeah, I'm I tend to agree with you. It was really difficult to watch and it and it started to border on the ridiculous and it felt very much sort of unlike Call the Midwife and that they were going so far to set her up so that we, I think we're all thinking as the audience, well, once she gets her faith back, there's going to be this awesome flowering of niceness and, and, you know, and positivity because she's gone so grindingly negative, but it, it, it felt a little contrived to me as well. Um, it, it, it seemed to be like, I kept thinking it was much more about aging than about a crisis of faith. Um, and that, that's what confused me a bit, you know, because it, it starts with her fall, right? She has a fall at the end of season nine. She's in the hospital for a long time. And I think she really realizes how fragile she is physically. And, and that sort of carries over into this crisis of faith. But yeah, it was hard to watch. Um, like maybe if it were about her fearing death or something that would work better for me. Yeah. Because because I think it is really easy. I think I think it could be really easy as you get up into advanced years and you are actually confronted with with death and with having to sort of put your money where your mouth is in terms of like whatever faith system you prescribe to. But this is not that. And I don't like I don't know what this is like if that was what we were doing, if it was just like she's questioning everything she's told herself that she believes in or has chosen to believe in because now she's at the end of her life and she's afraid like that's that's a story i would watch but i i don't if 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 the point of this story is an actual like crisis of faith in the sense that of i of i think i wasted my life in this religious life instead of experiencing life or whatever whatever i think sister monica joan is absolutely the wrong avatar that story i do think getting back to your sort of your your first point lacy where you're like maybe it's time for her to go and i kind of gasped the the reason i did that is because i do think she has 
served a role in the series and getting back to Annie, I don't know that I think that role has been a lot of comic relief, but it helps break up some of the difficulty in that show for Monica Joan to be this sort of sardonic, you know, very well-read, very erudite, um, you know, and super sarcastic and sort of the pull those one-liners. And when they're suddenly gone and there is this just complete um, just loss of like all personality and drive and, and, and interest in life, it, it, it was weird. It felt really strange to me. And I, I assume they'll resolve it. I'm sure it will be resolved, but I don't think I would want, I, th- I feel like she plays an important role in the show. Maybe it's not as well-rounded as other characters I, w- I would gather, but I did miss her sort of the old sister Monica Joan at times. Because, I mean, you know, I've definitely defended her on this show right. in the past and, and that I do think she does have a, or did at one point have an important role to play. I just don't think that they, I think her character has maybe run its course is a better way of putting yeah, it. And I don't know that. that this is going anywhere that feels like new or necessary, especially when it's sort of looked at of a piece with everything else that's kind of going on in the canvas of the show. Like so much of called the midwife is like looking at the, I thought it was really cute. They're sort of a little fashion show. They're like more modern habits that are cuter and like easier to sort of move and work in the world. And like, that feels like the show stepping a little forward in terms of like this is how in the 1960s like we are going to literally live our faith in the world and it feels to me like Monica Jonas sister Monica Jonas very much of a piece of the first half of this series now that we're in season 10 and I don't feel like they've moved her character forward in the same way the rest of the show has um speaking of uh, characters that are of the second half of the show shall we say um I really really loved Lucille's story even though it wasn't given a lot of time um her her getting the apartment with uh with Cyril um I I, I know they they didn't dedicate too much to this but I really did love that um and I'm kind of hoping that like we get more of them and that they sort of become like an ongoing thing this season um simply because they are so much of the show moving itself forward mm-hmm. yeah i mean it was it was an interesting story like you said it, it was it wasn't given as much time as as we might have liked but you know again they sort of the show really tackles social issues and just this really you know in a in a, in a clever and i think arguably very accurate way i mean at one point so cyril is sort of left without a place to live at one point he's out uh shopping for a flat and um there's some landlord who had a place available, and um, when uh, he showed up and described what church might be moving into the property, suddenly the property was no longer available. You know, and you so you hear these this sort of the hints of racism, and Cyril's reaction to that is this sort of nonchalant. It was a very sort of almost coded and subtle description of like this person saw me and decided I wasn't worthy of renting, and um, you know, it, and and it sort of. So that is in the storyline. The sort of undercurrent of racism is there, but you know, it being 1966 in Great Britain and and him being an immigrant, it's not. Um, you know, his reaction isn't sort of strong or fierce. It's it's really interesting how it's done. It's it's deftly handled, but again, you're not getting. You know, you're getting the 
some some tr- the true sli- slice of life here, I think, and that's what makes these characters so interesting. And I mean, there's there's a there's a subplot with some of the w- the women in the church uh, as well that's also really fascinating. Where there's one, yeah, pi- that's the part I really wanted to have more. The whole like we're gonna bring you a piano, and then the two of them are like jamming to like modern music, and the church ladies show up with the piano, and they take one look at the two of them dancing, and I'm like, man, oops, that was that was great, you know. And and it's interesting because one of the one of the um those older women was is sort of a leader in the church and um Lucille has sort of known her as a figure of respect and and she goes to speak to her in sort of her day job which is which is I think a janitorial job somewhere and it's yes. just really interesting the sort of um you know issue of like I I have power in the church but society sort of places me in this job and it's the same thing with Cyril Cyril makes um a point at so, you know at some point he discusses the fact that like he came to Great Britain as a civil engineer and he has not built anything, but maybe I'm building this other thing, this, you know, palace of faith or whatever it is. But uh, that was, you know, that was a very sad and sort of, you know, um, uh, challenging line. Again, he sort of makes the point um, in this way that is, I think, just think really interesting, really fascinating. But yeah, absolutely want to see more of that storyline going forward. Um, and it's also worth noting that um, now that he lives above the buckles, that's I'm trying to figure out we were trying to figure out my wife and I are watching this like it didn't the buckle store used to be sort of like paper and stuff it seems like now there's yes. everything in that store there's like I, I, the, the buckles and- sell whatever any whatever anyone needs the buckles to sell they, they're very useful that way is it like a modern 7-eleven I mean it's just it's like this weird sort of proto convenience store like you could get like magazines <laughs> but you could also get a loaf of bread like I don't get get the the business model but it's fine they're a bodega. Do they? <laughs> they are the British version of a bodega. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm speaking of the buckles. Um, they didn't get very much in this uh, opening episode, but I have always had a lot of love for the buckles because they're like when when I started watching last season, like they totally crack me up like all the time, and I really love the fact that we have like basically sort of this family that is outside of the 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 clinic completely and sort of brings like this outside perspective um and i i know that later on this season we're going to get to the point where uh the the uh the, the world cup got mentioned in it in did. the uh in the opening episode i know we're actually going to have a world cup episode and i'm under the impression that the buckles are basically sort of the center of that <laughs> i'm sure the buckles will also sell soccer balls and pennants and <laughs> You know, cleats or whatever folks need for the for the World Cup. Give it the buckle. I know that you particularly, as our resident uh, soccer enthusiast, uh, are up for the World Cup plot that is clearly coming. This was yeah. yes, this was sort of um, indicated early on with some of the early press around the show that they'd cover the World Cup, and we already got a hint of it in the first episode where they discussed the fact that a lot of people don't know that the World Cup went missing. When I was going to be England. like, can you please tell us what they were talking about? Because I was like, is this, I just watched this Netflix documentary called, this is a robbery. And it was like an art heist documentary. Yes, and I was like, that. people just steal stuff everywhere. Yeah, so I would yeah. love it's to know this. It's a crazy story. It, it was called the Jules Rimet tr- uh, trophy. He was the sort of French guy who started FIFA. And um, it's not like the World Cup we see today. It looks sort of like an angel. It's a total different figure. There's no soccer ball on it. But the original World Cup, when it I was... I mean, don't hate me, listeners, and possibly my boss. I think the World Cup trophy is very ugly. <laughs> you know what? You're onto something there. But, you know, I would, I would, I would basically agree. But... Um, don't send me your hate mail, Internet. Don't, don't. 
we love the World Cup. But it's just, I mean, just to make a long story short, like they bring it to some exhibition in England because the World Cup is going to be in England at some museum or something, and it goes missing. Someone has stolen it. And it is, there's a case that goes on for weeks because the World Cup is actually going to start in earnest, you know, in July over the summer. Where is the World Cup? And can we have a World Cup if we don't have the World Cup? Um, and then it's this sort of... is the procedural period drama that I would watch if you're listening, BBC. Exactly. But it does it does sort of show up in very weird circumstances, like it's found in a field somewhere. And it's it's a very odd story. Look it up if you're interested. OK, this sounds like a true crime show waiting to happen on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think we'll hear more about it as it goes. But it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's. It's great. I'm thrilled about it. You know, we always I, I've 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 told both Lacey and Ani before that, like, as every year comes in, I try to predict, well, what, what's going to happen in 1967? Hmm. I don't know. Sergeant Peppers comes out this year. Maybe someone will have Sergeant Peppers, you know, the World Cup 66. I sort of always wonder, like, what, um, you know, sort of great British story is going to be in in here. And they always manage to, to get a bit of that in there. So excited about that. Um. The other thing that they've pushed um, for this season ahead of time um, is a uh, Nancy Corrigan, who's a new character, who you tell me does not actually show every up. Time in- you say, every time you say her name, I think you're saying Nancy Kerrigan <laughs> of Ice Skating Infamy. Right. And I'm like, this show is wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, apparently there's going so um somewhere I-, I thought it was going to be much earlier, but apparently Nick says that it does not happen in episode two or three. Um, apparently there's going to be like pupil midwives that show up basically, and they're going to sort of take in and start teaching them, and she is one of them. Um, and the actress is Megan Cusack, who is like freaking like royalty, um, like acting royalty, like she's like is the- she related to. John and Joan. Uh no, she's uh she's the daughter of uh of uh the produce the producer of the National Theater of Great Britain. Oh, okay. Um, and like her uncle is like Jeremy Irons. <laughs> And like, yeah, like she has like if you look her up, like her 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 family is like insane, basically. Um, and th- there's a big thing about like how she's going to be this new excitable character who um is going to, I suppose, in a way, sort of take over the Trixie role as Trixie gets a little older and is no longer quite the uh the the outra character that she's been. Um, but I, I'm very curious. Um, you so we're not even though they're making a big deal of this. This does not happen in the first few episodes. It does not. Although I now that you mentioned the pupils thing, that does get sort of there. There's a bit of an indication that that's going to start happening, and um, you know maybe it's another way for the the order to make some money instead of going private. Um, I also wonder whether this new this new um, nurse will help Sister Monica Joan. Uh, this is a prediction. I don't know this, but I'm just wondering if there's going to be some like tie in between the two of them. Maybe she'll bring since she's this new exciting character. Maybe she'll bring Sister Monica Joan back from her depth uh, of of her faith crisis. But who knows? Yeah, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't like Sister Monica Joan. I feel, I feel like a, I feel like a bad call the midwife watcher that I don't like. Her. I know it does feel a little bit like you're kicking a puppy or something, but yeah. I just don't. And it's not even the like. I feel like I have to say again that it's not that I don't like Sister Monica Joan or I don't think that the show has used her effectively in the past. I, I just don't think it's using her effectively right now. Yeah, I think that totally totally makes sense. To some extent, I think. That is because the show is reluctant to just let her arc end because like, I mean, I think, I think, I think part of it too, is I'm not sure how her arc does end without her passing away. Right. But I mean, I guess she could just go back to the mother house and like 
read books or something. I don't know. But I just don't I just don't think they have a lot of stories still left to tell with her because I mean, for all the reasons I said before, I don't think this crisis of faith thing as they're currently structuring it super works. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's also for those who've watched like all 10 seasons, I mean, it would be a hard a character. It, there was much more. There were better storylines with Sister Monica Joan in earlier seasons. She's been a fixture. She's always been there. So, yeah, to your point, Lacey, to remove her even through natural causes would be a big deal. And maybe that's just not something they're ready to contemplate since we already have two more series um, planned minimally. And also, at least the showrunner has expressed a desire for more. Um you would think, though, kind of like a high school show, like high school students have to graduate. Sister Monica Joan has to graduate to, <laughs> to the place on high at some point. Um, speaking of um, the the future seasons, um, I don't know if you guys know about this, but um, the BBC drama studio actually got leased by Netflix recently. Um, and I'm not even sure if Call the Midwife has a home to uh, film seasons 12 and 13. Like I know that they, uh, I I know that they're still in for season eleven, but there have been rumors that they've been basically asked to to that Neil Street Productions has basically been asked to leave the their their studio after wow. that. Just like the show itself, um, <laughs> are yeah. imitating life. Um, so I I don't know if this is a I I don't know I I don't I know. Just, I mean I'm sorry. This show is like a ratings killer for the BBC. They'll find somewhere else to film. It. Uh, it's not just that. It's also that this is. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about how PBS Passport has like the right has like the expanded rights this year. Part of the reason why it doesn't usually get the rights is because the BBC initially contracted this with Netflix. Yeah, and that's actually an important point because PBS Passport is getting the episodes early and also for two weeks of free streaming post broadcast. But after that, it's gone and goes to Netflix. Yes. And it goes to Netflix as like one big drop. And part of the reason, you know, like we 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 here at PBS like to think that, you know, the show is popular because of PBS. But, you know, the Netflix bump is not something that can be discounted. OK, the Netflix bump is why Miss Fisher became huge. The Netflix bump has done. It's why Great British Bake Off became huge. Uh, the, the Netflix bump is huge is part of why Call the Midwife is as big as it is on this side of the pond. And I can't imagine that Netflix wouldn't want to help it find a home since it is just as important for the streamer as it is for the BBC. Yeah. I mean, everybody wins with the show. It does well for PBS. It does well for Netflix. It does great for the BBC. Well, I would say that when Call the Midwife goes to Netflix, it's sort of like going to that ritzy private hospital. They should stay with PBS. <laughs> the public, you know, the public broadcasting system where we care about people and we're free. That's all I'm going to say. But it's that good. I get your point. fabulous way that's of well played. It's so well played statement, sir. And that's why he's my boss. Um... <laughs> Uh, Called the Midwife will continue, but I learned when we started this episode, it is apparently an abbreviated season this year. Yeah, there were, instead of eight episodes, it's only seven, and that's because uh, instead of an eighth episode, the BBC produced a 10th anniversary special, um, which I do not know if it is actually coming to PBS or not. I hope it is. I'm assuming that it is. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be like Christmas specials for other shows or for this show. Um, well, so, no, there's a Christmas special for this show. The The photos are actually out for the, no, the coming I, Christmas d- special. No, I meant, and also like the Christmas special oh, okay. for the show. It's what, this is one of the few things we day and date. I love the Christmas special for this show. Um, so yeah, more season 10 and future seasons to come. Love it. Nick, love as, our, as our 
I know. I love that you're a guy who loves Call the Midwife. I told Nick he should make a podcast called Dudes Who Watch Dudes Who Watch Call the Midwife because I feel like it would be so great. Everyone needs a good cry on a Sunday night. Come on, folks. It's how you get into the week. It is real. Like if you're having sinus problems, it's like a good like bank up a season and just like work it out. It's better than therapy. <laughs> um, Nick, thank you for being with us and tell everybody where they can find your ramblings on other topics online. Oh, oh thanks, Lacey. It, it's it's always uh, a pleasure to to join this amazing conversation that you all have every every week. Um, and to talk about shows that we love. Um, you can find me at Nick Scalera, but you're not going to find much about Call the Midwife or TV. It's mostly music stuff, but if you're inclined to indie alt music, that kind of thing, check me out. Um, but yeah, again, thanks for having me. It's a ton of fun. D- does Robin count as alt music? I have uh, to ask we, since I was singing Call the Midwife to uh, call, my, the call your girlfriend. Of, the tune of Call Your Girlfriend. We've been doing that all day. I'm not going to do it right now <laughs> so we don't get slapped with some kind of like copyright violation. But just think about how that song goes and think of the name Call the Midwife and it will be stuck in your head too. <laughs> Annie, you're up. Um, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. Uh, you can find pictures of my extremely fuzzy and adorable cats doing adorable cat things at Annie Bundle on Instagram. And let's see, I am a staff writer at Elite Daily and an associate editor here at televisions.org, plus a freelance around the web. So um, if you want my thoughts on things like, oh, I don't know, the Diana musical that's coming to Netflix, that's the thing that I wrote about this week over at NBC, um, you can just basically like go to my Twitter and I basically retweet all my bylines and that's where you can find what I wrote this week. I am Lacey MB on Twitter. That is L-A-C-Y-M-B. And I also write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web, but but I always tweet my bylines. So if you're interested in my thoughts on literally anything, um, come be my friend. If you just want the cat pictures, the boys are on Insta at Baker and Hammer. And if you just want the British stuff, the site and the pod live on Facebook at Televisions blog, all one word, and Tele underscore Visions on Twitter. We are a product of WETA, and if you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org and click on that donate button up top to help us keep doing it, support public media, and get access to those early episodes of Call the Midwife on PBS Passport. That is our show. Thank you again, Nick, for joining us. Thank you guys out there in the darkness for listening to us. Um, I don't know. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask, get vaccinated if you haven't yet. Encourage those in your life who might be hesitant to do so and come back and listen to us talk about something else next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>